and welcome back to another episode of Crack On. Thank you to everyone who has reached out to me about the podcast, everyone who is sharing it on social media. I would gently encourage you to continue to do so. This week, I had the absolute pleasure of chatting to comedian and podcast veteran, Jarlith Regan. If you've been lucky enough to see Jarlith perform stand-up, then you know he is hilarious and full of great chat. And this conversation delivered just that. We talk about his early stand-up career, the reasons why he started his hit podcast, An Irishman Abroad, and of course, I get the lowdown on what his idea of crack is. Spoiler, it's a great one. Please enjoy. Welcome to Crack On, Jarlath Regan. Hello there. Thank you for having me. Thank you for doing this. It's, it's great, so good great. to have you I on. I'm here. I can't believe I'm here. No. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, it's great to be asked. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I did practice today. I wanted to intro you as if it was your own podcast, you know, so it's like, he, I think, whose voice is it? Firstly, he's like, please welcome the wonderful Jarlath Regan. Oh, and that's uh, Russell Howard. <laughs> yeah. Was that a good Russell Howard? Um, no. that's pretty good, <laughs> decent. You've been in England long enough now. You've got a few dialects there. Because uh, his is a weird one, isn't it? His is a bit mashed up into other dialects. But uh, yeah, I robbed that and used that for my intro. <laughs> for my it's thing. so good. I mean, Aaron was like, because I was like playing it today and Aaron was like, oh, perfect. I'll do the Obama. And I was like, no, excuse me. This is my podcast. You're not doing the Obama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's always been a little green behind the red, white, and blue. <laughs> That's offensive. It's uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a good intro. Um, well, yes. So, welcome to Crack On. And as you know, you know it's all about times in our life where we have to overcome and find the silver lining or the crack. And I mean, as you're a stand-up comedian, this is kind of your whole life, you know, turning these kind of shy situations into a very funny one hour show. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to hear, but that's not, you know, to say that you have to choose any of the things you've done stand up about, but I'm excited to hear what you are going to share with us today. Yeah, but that was my first thought uh, when I thought about times when you just have to crack on and Mm -hmm. get on with it. My first thought was that that is the job of comedy on a Mm. daily basis, (laughs) because most of the time you don't want to be funny. Uh, You don't wake up zinging people. And then when you go to perform, you have to crack on through whatever's happening in the room, happening in your life, happening in the world, people heckling you people being awkward, you know, tripping on the way to the stage, all of this stuff. (laughs) Uh, Most of it is just pushing through. Mm -hmm. That's most of what comedy is, never mind the material itself. So, uh, yeah, plenty there. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And is there a particular situation that springs to mind or what were your examples that you were thinking you wanted to discuss today? Yeah, the first one, I would say uh, a time when I had to push through uh, yeah, you 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 give me, gave me the question. What was the exact wording? Uh, a time when I had to had to overcome something hard, overcome. find the crack in cracking on. That's my, my my slogan. To get on with it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably my wedding day because you know, uh, as you will find out on your wedding day. there's so many things that you have to ignore and just push through uh, and keep that out of your mind's eye. And also, I didn't want to do it. Like, I didn't want to get married, but I knew it was was probably the best thing to do with that. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't get through it. I couldn't get through it. I nearly did. (laughs) Oh, my God. If there is anyone that, like, I just don't believe that from, it's it's you and Tina. You are just the cutest couple in the world. (laughs) I was honestly, Tina and I both thought of that joke. We're like, I got to try and try and do that joke. Just commit to it. (laughs) I just couldn't do it. That that is true, though. On your wedding day, so much is going to go wrong when the day comes for you guys. Okay, prepare me. Like, tell me some things that went wrong on the day. Well, it's more 
like you can't control everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody's going to be like, my seat isn't close enough to the toilets or my seat's too close to the toilets. And you just got to be completely like, hey, man, yeah, just talk to this person about that and just kind of stay in your comfy, lovely zone on your wedding day rather yeah. than getting bogged down in all of these these bits and bobs. But the real example it would probably be, like I said, the day and the life that is comedy. Like so mm-hmm. many times when you go on on stage, your head's not there. Like I've gotten better at this, but your head is somewhere else like you're still someone you're still someone who's living your life and dealing with all the things that come with being a person in the world mm-hmm. and then you have to go on and kind of don the mask and do the show mm-hmm. like that's the act inverted commas and when i moved over here uh, it was very much starting again uh, like I obviously had, you know, a lot of experience and some TV stuff behind me, but it was so much about starting over and not assuming anything and not expecting anything and just going for it uh, in spite of how difficult it is. And that was kind of why Irishman Abroad came about, because we all need help. We all need help in that. And we we may not all need it but we could all do with it. And Mm -hmm. I didn't find it in many places. I really did find myself just cracking on and kind of looking for help in other places on other podcasts. I was devouring. I would say I was listening to more than. So if I would be listening to podcasts for four to five hours a day at that time because of how lonely and on my own it was and Mm. traveling so much and Mm -hmm. those were those were the places that I got guidance uh, to push through it Um, but it was uh, like it obviously worked out like this isn't a sob Mm -hmm. story like like I just yeah it's a success (laughs) but but I did have to just kind of knuckle down and Mm -hmm. like it's it's the least glamorous part of stand up and it's kind of part that some people don't want you to know about mm-hmm. especially if they're trying to cultivate an image of themselves as this wildly successful stand up comedian who you you know roams from one place to the next in demand at all times everybody started out in the drudgery of open mic everyone mm-hmm. and even though i had the wheels greased a bit because i'd been going a good while and I probably some places I didn't have to do an open mic they would just go okay yeah well you've done this many Edinburgh shows and whatnot uh well the places you did and you'd find yourself in the middle of nowhere like really I remember it being cold a lot (laughs) you know England has a weird kind of cold does it not yeah it really it's like it's in your bones at times even if you've the heating on it can be so cold (laughs) I couldn't couldn't get warm um yeah like and also I was like sleeping on airport floors and bumming on couches this is all prior to moving my family over but it was just one of those periods where you're just like when is this going to end? Like, how does this work out? Does this work out? Uh, And like, I still look back on the pictures from the time and I'm like, whoa, like you really weren't looking after yourself. You were, you were, you were cracking on with it so much that you deprioritized your own health. Mm. (laughs) Just getting over the line. Yeah. And I find, you know, very often with, gigs especially the open mic nights they finish so late you probably didn't like eat before you haven't really if you are nervous for it you are spending the whole day kind of panicking you do this gig and you might only like especially the open mic nights 
sometimes you only get five minutes. So your whole day is centered around this five minutes. You haven't eaten your dinner and then you get home at like, it could be 12 or one and you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to throw something in the microwave. Like there's just so little space to Mm -hmm. take care of yourself. It's kind of scary. 100%. And also, you know, I... I wasn't the scene that you you're doing and that you've been in that you've done there and that you've lived through is a, is is kind of a mire as well because there's so many people that that they regard that as the place that's mm. comedy now and they're 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 not trying to you know they are trying I don't know how to put this but there are some people that are quite happy just doing open mic nights Mm, and yeah, they they don't like I I wasn't doing those nights like a when I say open mic stuff I mean trying out at clubs yeah and I mean I mean trying out I look there was places where there's one particular place that I tried out in, for in 2004 so I wasn't even in left my job yet and I didn't get fully paid slots there until 12 years later (laughs) oh my god and like they were I wasn't like I was trying out every single year but they were just such dicks like they were just such dicks and they continue to be dicks uh I won't say where it is they're just people will know (laughs) if they know where I'm talking (laughs) about there's 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 really only one uh, place that wears the crown of dickishness in in comedy and uh, like you're you're just beating your head off a wall because on mm-hmm. the one on the one hand I'm sure you know this that like you can't get better at a thing doing it for seven minutes you need time you need yeah. space you need but then in some ways that's the only way you can do it that you've got to you've got to learn how to run marathons in comedy mm-hmm. through sprints. You do these sprints and then they have no relation to what your marathon time is going to look like or what kind of a, a big show you'll do when you eventually get to do an hour. But they, they're the, the jazz hand sizzle reel for what you could potentially do if you get given 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it seems so otherworldly, doesn't it, to talk about this now because it's so another planet where these clubs existed like even talking about it i'm like yeah that that was uh, i feel like it's so straight and i feel like does this even matter do you feel this at the moment where it's like do any of these jokes even work anymore is this a world oh, that people give a shit about anymore it's i know i feel like i've written so much so much during lockdown and it started off being quite like you know cute being like oh i got engaged during lockdown and now it's like oh shut up you know, no one wants mm. to hear about your lockdown. <laughs> it's mm. like, yeah, it's I, just, I've gone through so many different phases of it, you know. And then you got to think that some people do. You, you got to kind of green light yourself that way. Mm-hmm. Because I felt like leaving Ireland, that we'd hamstrung ourselves a little bit. The generation of comics that came after the Tommy Tiernan generation of Ed Byrne, Darrow Breen, and uh, Jason Byrne, just listing a couple of people that had come over of that mm-hmm. period, who are people that will tell me in the interviews I've done with them that stand-up was, there was no other option. It was this or the dole. Those were the choices. That Ireland had nothing for them. Uh, Ardle O'Hanlon said he was working in a jumper shop. You know, it was this or just mind-numbing boredom of Mm -hmm. unemployment the next generation that come along see it as a viable uh career yeah in so doing there's a elevated importance placed on what is essentially play and what is meant to be silly and stupid and dumb and joyful and carefree and there's this wait now hold on you could make a real life out of this and that's mm-hmm. something that they were for good or for bad not encumbered by and you can mm-hmm. see it in their material and now you're seeing a lot more calculated stand-up calculated yeah. that's my niche mm-hmm. i could do it this way and this would be who i am and this is the 
slot that I could fill and the spot on the panel show that I could do. And you see that, like you can see people doing that. Mm-hmm. And in in that way, it, it, that period of stand-up I found really stressful because you're being fed all this conflicting, these conflicting opinions. I'm sure you feel this now even, mm-hmm. that there's loads of people that think they know and nobody knows. Nobody has a fucking clue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, you're, you're all wandering around trying to figure out what's right for us. Yeah. And when there's so many people telling you, you need to do this, that can just become white noise mm-hmm. and get you further and further from that inner voice that tells you, Toiler, that your version of lockdown could be fucking hilarious. I know that is exactly so Exactly what people need to hear. Yeah. Is, well, what was your experience of it? Mm-hmm. And in fact, the more specific you go to yourself, the more general uh, appeal that has, that mm-hmm. actually the more particular the incident the more that has a cross section into everyone's lives. I mean, yeah. I find that really weird and brilliant paradox about comedy that uh, uh, kind of sometimes it, we all need to remind ourselves of when we when we sit down to write while dismissing our, our lives as unimportant. Yeah, that is, I know, it's so, so true. Um, I want to talk about, so you mentioned, you know, when you moved over to London. And so you were doing gigs here before you moved the family over. Mm. Yeah, so I did the BBC New Comedy Award and the Channel 4 New Comedy Award and did quite well in those. I'd done some courses with the BBC and this was mid-2000s and I was still holding down an advertising job in Dublin in a kind of a graphic design consultancy where I was the you know project manager on different things. It was my first job out of college and all I knew was I hated it. All I knew was <laughs> I was getting depressed quick mm-hmm. and Tina could feel it like Tina could feel it off me. Uh, and, you know, when they, they like, it's funny the way you remember things at the time versus how you remember them 15 years later, because at the time they were letting people go and they weren't getting paid because the Celtic tiger was really wobbling at that point. Mm-hmm. And, thinking to myself, oh, I was the fir- last man in and the first man out. But I wonder were there other reasons? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I was not good at the job. <laughs> <So laughs> to say, I did fuck up quite a bit. I can remember sending some invoices that should not have been sent (laughs) for tens of thousands of euros and my my mess i i say that i meant to say my desk (laughs) (laughs) my desk was like someone had come in and trashed it like like somebody had attempted to sweep everything off it i i'm quite a neat person i say as i look around my uh, currently trashed I think, it looks, I think it looks neat I mean I it, think the room looks neat no you should see the rest of it oh. <laughs> it's it, like the backdrop on a on a zoom call is not something to reflect yeah. who the person is but I was I was a, I was at Campbell's and I was at sea at that time and I really was very confused as to what life was meant to be like mm-hmm. what like I was like walking down the canal and everybody's in their slacks and shirts with their uh walking shoes for walking down the canal and their work shoes in their bags. <laughs> and I was like, this is what we're meant to do. This is it. This this is so, I'm not judging these people, but I was like, when, what's the plan? Do we, do we just do this now until we die? Like, is that it? Because that, that I can't see that being my life. And mm-hmm. uh, more and more as the time went on in that office and I was only there like a wet week, like maybe a year, I was hunting out uh, chances and places that I could stand on my hind legs and make people laugh wherever I could. I would go back to the college I went to and do it there. Uh, I hadn't quite figured out that I could do it at, in clubs because they seemed a bit impenetrable a little bit clickish Um, so I went through those comedy uh, competitions I really went in I did one in Today FM I remember where you had to ring in (laughs) 
do jokes oh over the my phone. God. Yeah, yeah. But I and was so some of these competitions, was it were you trying the material for the first time mm. whilst competing? Sometimes. Or sometimes, wow. yeah. Definitely in the Today FM one. Um I have already had seven together by the time so I did one for Chortle. Uh, as yeah. she, and their their one since become a bigger competition altogether, and uh, I definitely had seven minutes. Like that was what I had. So they let me go from the job, and um, I think Ardlo Hanlon had seen me back in the university doing a funny speech, and he had offered me some work with him and uh, that kind of floated me along when I got let go from the job and I tried to, to figure out would I give stand-up a go. Hardle was really, and he is an extraordinary human being and people don't even understand how generous and brilliant a man he is and how encouraging he was to me at that time. But uh, I'm so grateful to him for it um, because without that, I mean, oh, oh yeah, I, got, I did get a job writing jokes for Ryan Tuberty for a time. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, he had a late night show on at that time. It was the Saturday night show. And they, I rang them and said, do you need jokes? And they were like, why would we need jokes? There's no jokes in the show. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> That's well, why maybe you there jokes. is. <laughs> yeah, I was like, maybe there is at the start of the show. You could put some jokes in there. And they said, well, we have this audience game where you have to decide what age two people are who look similar in age and to be well-known people. Uh, so... Oh, I can remember one of the jokes was uh, the two people were the Reverend Ian Paisley and the Muslim radical cleric Abu Hamza, who has hook, hooks for hands. People may remember this. Uh, and the joke was something like uh, he's a radical cleric uh, known for uh spouting hate speech hate speech and the other is abu hamza and like that was that was a joke they paid me 50 euro for <gasps> so i mean when you think about it the show's on every week i get three jokes on i've made 150 euros that week that is I amazing like, when you're when you're like it's this or you know, walking the canal in the shoes. I was like, <laughs> I'll take this. <laughs> I'll take this. Or I can even remember the first pair of sneakers I bought with that money. And uh, uh, just the joy of it. it was so, it was so silly and stupid, but it was, it was do, doing, you know, living an alternative life to the one that it mm -hmm. seemed like everybody was agreeing to live. You were looking around at people a lot of the time going, where do I fit into this? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was another example of just uh, not cracking on. And just, <laughs> well, no, I guess it is because when I, when I left, I had to just get busy and try and figure out who needs jokes. Yeah. <laughs> I think sometimes in those situations and I like I've been guilty of this of staying at a job because I'm like okay well it pays my rent that having that safety net being taken away from you is sometimes the best thing that can happen because then you're actually proactively looking for work I mean I mm. that is so there's something so lovely about just ringing them up and being like do you need some jokes like I love yeah, it and it was very Dublin <laughs> of that time as well uh, like, I don't recommend people leave their jobs. I really mm. don't. I'd be of the school of stay as long as they will pay your rent. Stay mm. and try and do it for and bank as much as you can until eventually they kick you out. And, you know, that's probably not the best. The best advice ever, but there is something in it because what you're what you're doing is keeping the job motivates you to get to a place where this is now untenable. I can't do both. So if you're a graphic designer or uh, you're a um, uh, fashion person, and you're like. Oh, but that's really my passion. This thing is draining me. 
well, the, this every day that they, that that job drains you, I would say it, it it's a reminder each day that you've got to build the other thing to the point where can't do can't do both anymore, and one one is paying the exact same as the other. I mean, that's a. Uh, that's what I'd recommend because, like you said, there is something to be said for walking the rope without the net. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, uh, it, it can re- that kind of a shite job can really motivate you to get out. Uh, I agree. And, yeah. yeah. I think that's good advice, though. And I think, like, I mean, there's so many actors I know who would never dream of even working a part-time job because it would interfere with auditions and everything, which I understand to an extent. But I also am such a believer that, like, life is meant to be lived as well. And until you achieve the goal that you want to achieve, whether it is, you know, being a paid stand-up or making money from your passion you want to live as well in the meantime and be able to pay your rent and actually go for dinner every once in a while, which is like, you know, a luxury, like a lot of creatives don't have, you know? Yeah. And also I can speak from the perspective of the panic, like the, 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 the panic and stress of not, um, knowing if you can cover that stuff is, it might it might not be super conducive to creativity in some ways, uh, because I know that you know I've had times when I've a knot in my stomach over it, and uh, I sometimes think that sometimes the the image people might have of me is that because they talk like this that uh, you know that it was never a concern for you. You don't know what you're talking about, but I definitely do know. Mm-hmm. I definitely do know what. Uh, even though, like you say, there was uh, there were certain safety nets, but I, I, in the same way, there are people that are homeless right now who have safety nets too, who can't talk to those people mm-hmm. that are meant to be their safety nets. They're not a, they're not able to, and they find themselves in these situations. I've done an awful lot of work for those charities because I, I feel it and I felt it at that time that you're two to three bad decisions away from being them. Mm. And that's a thing that people, nobody really thinks about in terms of homelessness. They see it as other, that that's them. And that could never be you. It can be you. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that I came close to it. But what I'm saying is I got the anxiety of not really being able to tell people how rough it was becoming, how rickety yeah. the boat was. Yeah. And in that way, that's probably part of the reasons why I'm like, stay in the fucking job as long as you can. <laughs> yeah. Keep yeah. your overheads low and bank that money. Uh, no, I think it's great. Mm. Um, when you started stand up, how many gigs? I mean, like, I've always heard a varied, uh, like, advice on this where people are like oh you should be doing like five gigs a week when you start out what did you start out doing it's such bollocks like this thing of and that's a it's very london comedy scene yeah 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 yeah. you know in london and across the uk you can at a certain time pre-pandemic work seven nights a week you could you could work seven nights a week and never see the same audience members Mm-hmm. But you you have to you have to really 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 try to be working seven nights a week. Mm-hmm. Um, not all those gigs would be the greatest gigs that had ever been created. No, <laughs> someone there's like four people in the audience. <laughs> yeah, and I definitely uh, have reached the point where any anytime anyone says this will be it's it's good for you to play these hard gigs because then you know that you can do any room anyone who talks like that and there is there is a lot of that talk isn't there Uh, Mm -hmm. oh you should be able to kill in any room um hmm, not necessarily uh some rooms are filled with racist idiots uh and i'm not sure i want them to love my stuff mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah uh, uh, if if my stuff plays well to them and uh, a university crowd 
what is my stuff uh, and in the same in the same breath this idea that a number of gigs means that you are this you are at this level is utter shit like i just mm-hmm. believe that is utter shit and i know that it is also related to the financials of it but you hear an awful lot of uh, even in like like recognize groups on uh, certain forums where they're like, if you're not gigging for four nights a week, then you're not really a pro comic like Mm. bollocks. I mean, you know, four of those gigs could be trash. I mean, and you're doing it so that you can tell yourself I'm a pro comic. No, Mm -hmm. I I don't believe in those numbers. When I, when I was inverted commas going pro, there was nowhere to do comedy. <laughs> so much of comedy was uh, the International Bar, the Laughter Lounge, the City Limits in Cork, the Roisin Dove in Galway, the Empire in Belfast. End of story. Oh, Dolan's God. in Limerick. That was what you had. And if you could somehow get a night in Cavanaugh's in Port Leash, uh, maybe there's someone's doing a show in Clonmel. I heard that there's a new club out in Malahide. It might go under in two weeks, but try and get in there before it folds. <laughs> I mean, it was <laughs> like you're talking about two. You could count the number of places to do comedy on two hands. Mm. And and that was a boom. Like that was a boom. Like I remember people going, oh, it wasn't always like this, you know, it wasn't always like this. Uh, And I did feel blessed at the time because you could go, you could stay in Dublin and do, uh, you know, the Haypenny Bridge Inn and uh, the International most nights. There was something there that you could jump on and and work out gear. But uh, I was straight away trying to figure out, well, how can I create my own show? I knew that was one way, create my own gig. Then I mm-hmm. could maybe leverage that to get bookings at other places. And also I was thinking straight away, well, how do I not rely on this all the time? Like, how do I diversify what I can do mm-hmm. into other things? And I did start making those greeting cards that people may or may not know. Mm-hmm. Silly greeting cards that I've been making in work and trying to sell them uh, on a on a year round basis, so that I was somehow had an income f- through humor mm-hmm. <laughs> all, all year round, and it was it, it was a silly idea. And in some ways, it was born out of the idea that people pay four ninety nine for a card, but they'll pay one pound fifty for a newspaper. Uh, that that I, I, I was part of me that was just I just found cards hilarious. But you know what the underlying thing was. And the thing that I'm still living by now was that uh, I can do other things. You you don't have to hold yourself to this idea that oh, I said I'm being an actor. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I don't want anybody thinking that I'm, uh, oh, he's also doing that thing as well now. He's not really that. He's for, and it's this voice, <laughs> isn't it? Isn't it that voice all the time that's in your head? The bitchy neighbor over the fence complaining or gossiping. Uh, and sometimes that voice can be a relative who you know what they're going to say. Yeah. And sometimes that voice will just hamstring you uh, out of taking chances, doing things that you know, that's a good idea. Let's give that a whirl. And so much of the last year for me has been getting in touch with that voice that goes, you know what? Fuck it. That's a good idea. I'll give that, a, I'll give that a bash. And that was really how the podcast came about. And podcast kind of saved my life in many ways. Well, the podcast itself is an example of cracking on because, and also you started it at a time that there wasn't that many. I mean, I know you said that you were listening to, you were spending hours a day mm. at the time. All American other, ones. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, what were the podcasts? Because there wasn't much mm. going on at the time. Yeah, they were all American. I remember that. Um, maybe Stuart Goldsmith's. But that only came along like three to four months prior to mine. I'd already got the wheels in motion when his one came out. Well, I was listening to, obviously, WTF. 
Uh, yeah. Pete Holmes, you made it weird. These are these are all recommendations for your listeners of shows that they will love if they love Mairead's brilliant way of interviewing, of allowing people to speak. Pete Holmes does incredible interviews about life and spirituality and creativity and his run for three and a half hours. <laughs> so they were perfect for me. Oh, my God. And I know it's a long time, but there is nowhere to hide in that time. You really get an insight into the people. And he was having on people that I loved and nobody had heard of. There was such a massive American stand up fan of loads of these comics that hadn't broken yet and some who still haven't. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was mad into that show and I was mad into uh, Fresh Air on NPR. Uh, Terry Gross, an unbelievable interviewer as well. I loved interview. I just adored thoughtful questions, well-researched interviews, you know, tributes. That's the way I view them, is that if you are going to have someone on your show and that's the type of show you're going to make, the biggest compliment is the great question about the thing that you've never been asked about, but you'd love to be asked about. Like, isn't that like mm -hmm. the perfect date as well? Yeah, but that's what you do best on your podcast. You know, I think you are that's so good at that. Always been driven by that idea yeah. that what would this person love to be asked about, but are never asked about? Yeah, that's the guiding light. Like a lot of the time, that is the guiding light, because immediately when you do that for somebody, they relax and go, oh, this is different. I like yeah. this. <laughs> they're not I'm not blowing smoke and you have to be careful of that because it can come off that way sometimes I remember one one guest asking me have we met before have you did we have this conversation <laughs> before now and, and I was like no and he was like I feel like we've talked about this and I was like how did you <laughs> I was like no I just looked it up I mean he's like where did you hear about that <laughs> Like, it's all there. That was the thing that blew me away, was that it's all there. Yeah. There's so much research available to us now that wasn't yeah. when, you know, the Barry Egans of this world were going and having people like Gabriel Byrne on, and all they had to go on was the movies, uh, previous copies of the Irish Times, and maybe uh, something they'd done in Hot Press. I was able to find pretty easily early on on sites like tunein.com, an archive of every radio interview this person had ever done. And I had the time on my hands to go back and listen to them all. So the, it's it's like that old thing where people say um, they've hidden They've hidden all the information in books and libraries. <laughs> it's all there. It's just up to you whether you want to go go and get it. And and I I guess I was honestly, Doyler, the first time I felt someone go that place, go to that place of, oh wow, that's a lovely question. That was really addictive, and it still is. Like even when I hear people in interviews. And the person asks them a question like that, where the person goes, huh, good question. <laughs> it's it's such a lovely buzz. Yeah. It's such a lovely buzz. I'd and say it never gets old. Never gets old. And also, look, we've all got an apprenticeship. There's no great rocket sign to, to conversation. We're all raised on high stools. And a conversation in bars and coffees in, like... Dublin and Ireland is the ultimate hang. Like, it is built for hanging out. Yeah. And that's why I miss it so much. Because the hang was what it's all about. Like, rocking up to a place, like, spontaneous pints, best pints. And suddenly you're on some weird you're in some conversation that like the conversations that you would have with people in smoking areas that you'd never met before. Like we've all got that. That's in your, 
it's not in your DNA, but it, it's de- you're definitely raised with an appreciation for quality chats yeah. <laughs> that other countries don't have. I, I, I'm not going to shit on English people because Tina says I got to be really careful of this. <laughs> sometimes when you're talking to English people and you're having a wide ranging conversation with an English person, not on a podcast, just out and about, uh, and they're going, oh, wow, the conversation's really gone off course, hasn't it? And you're like, no. <laughs> Just talking about something else. We'll come back to the other thing. Oh, wow, we started talking about horse racing and then we're talking about comedy. How do we get here? And you're like, who fucking cares how we got here? I know. That's where we are. And that's how <laughs> I really believe Irish people have conversations. It's like there's no rules to it. It's just where we wind up, where it flows to. Mm-hmm. And I, I adore that. Like, And yeah. I miss that so much. Like, I miss Ireland. Like, you wouldn't fucking believe. It has been like as if people are in harder situations than me, but fuck, you do miss those things. I know. So I want to keep cracking on and um, and I'm also conscious of time. But do you have a second example that you wanted to talk about today? I mean, obviously, everything we've discussed is is just the epitome of cracking on. But if there was anything mm. else you wanted to add before we move to our lightning round. No, let's go lightning round. I think we've, yeah. we, we've yeah, covered you enough it. and I've banged on about my no. perseverance skills enough. <laughs> it's, it's great. I mean, yeah. I feel like anyone who has seen your stand-up is aware of just like how much you can overcome. You And I feel like yeah. your family is so amazing. strong. You're amazing. <laughs> yeah, I'm amazing. But actually, you know, Tina reminded me of one and I should say it before we go to the lightning round because I did... Like my chosen charity partner and the charity that I'm a patron of are Jigsaw.ie, are amazing Irish mental health charity for young people uh, and teaching them things like resilience and mental uh, toughness that way, but also just, you know, coping with loss. And they've got all sorts of seminars and uh, literature available through their site. And it's a really special charity to me because I went through a thing that was supposedly momentous and really struggled out the other side uh, mentally. And it was meant to be f- the greatest moment of your life. And it really taught me that even when everyone's telling you something's amazing, you may not feel that. You may you may feel the complete opposite because there's so many other components to how you feel. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're not wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. You can be telling yourself the whole time, kind of burying it and pushing it downwards that I'm not allowed to feel like this and that that's stupid. Uh, you know, talking nonsense in your head. But I did have that and I just did. And once I went to get the help that I needed, everything changed, like everything changed. The crack on was the acceptance. And sometimes when we talk about accepting and allowing yourself to feel the way you feel, I think that we can get that wrong and people can veer into so now I'm entitled to have a pizza and stay Mm -hmm. here for a good Mm -hmm. month and Mm -hmm. just be sad and maybe there are times when people need that but also uh, there are times when you gotta go right I get it yeah I know what I'm doing I know what I'm feeling now and now let's go Let's mm-hmm. go and do something about it rather than just nesting in it. Accept the accept that there's an issue. Go get your help. Yeah. That's the crack on that sometimes gets lost in the wash. The crack mm-hmm. on of I've got a problem here. This isn't right. Isn't to accept that and go, I guess it's not right now. I gotta be not right for what no. The crack on there is there's loads of people going through what you're going through. There's loads of people that can help you and you need to get going towards those people and sharing that. Uh, that 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 like that was a game changer for me to utter. Like honestly, um 
the hardest time and like I can't even go into specifics but it was hard as fuck and it's not that long ago Mm. not that long ago people think oh some you know people have great uh, views on these things now that they're in their distant rear view but the the turnaround i'm here to tell people is so can be so quick it can blow the hair behind you that is the once you get there to the person where you're like, oh, this person knows and this person is able to help here. The weight, like your whole posture changes. It's just nuts. Like it's absolutely, oh, like you, you get goosebumps thinking about it because those people that can help us just as much as doctors, mm-hmm. their skill is is... It's truly extraordinary when you meet the right person to help you in those situations. It's truly something. I know you've probably seen someone yourself mm-hmm. and you'll know what, what I mean here. Yeah. But uh, in so many ways, it is like dating again because it's lights on. It's not, well, maybe we'll grow to like each other. It's like, boom. This works. This yeah. 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 This is easy. It incredible. should be easy. Yeah. yeah. I'm so glad that you had that experience, you know, and that you were able to to come out the other side and have such a positive message from it because that's, it's not easy. I feel like as well, like you were saying, sometimes when that happens, you're like, okay, well, this is just me now and this is how I'm going to feel until I don't feel like this anymore. We don't have, we, that does mm. not have to be the way. So I'm I'm really glad that you shared that. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. No worries. There's a garage. There's like a, a petrol station that can that can help. It's so funny, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there. Yeah. Like, no, no, you got to get to that filling station. <laughs> yeah. Then it will change the oil. Yeah, exactly. Off you go. And then yeah. you'll be, yeah, they'll send you on your way and you're good. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Um, okay. Will I move us on to our lightning round? Love it. Okay. Love it. Yeah. So your idea of crack. So is it a night in, a night out? Tyler, you know, I, I love crack. <laughs> <laughs> My comedy club is called The Return of the Crack. Yes. It, I, like, and, and again, not to shit on the English people, but <laughs> they uh, they will say to you things like, oh, we're having the crack now. <laughs> and you, and you, you'll go, not anymore. <laughs> not since you said that. <laughs> the crack is, it's got to be, it's got to be, spontaneous it, it can't be labeled mm-hmm. i know yeah. that i'm contradicting myself by calling my comedy club return of the crack it can't be uh uh choreographed mm-hmm. that said my selection is weddings i believe i adore weddings like i just fucking love weddings so much the like from the getting ready to leave the house <laughs> the <laughs> panic of getting out the door the finding the way to the church in the middle of nowhere you know lobbing the car into a bush then kind of scrambling up into this church where we know we're not allowed to laugh like that's yeah that's a big one for me when I'm told I'm not allowed to be silly that's when it all comes out you're pointing the finger at people you haven't seen in ages and like I know like this is hell for people that are still locked down but like that buzz of that in that moment then you're seeing these two people uh, who you know have come together and this is their day there's all that emotion whether you buy into that or not that's special mm-hmm. and I love the selfie on the way out I always shoot a selfie on the way out the door try and get <laughs> a couple of candid shots of the bride coming up the aisle like that yeah. shot if you can capture that shot on a phone perfectly that's a photo much more so than the photos of the, that the professional photographer will provide that photo is going to be like something they'll keep forever you're yeah. creating memories right then yeah. like it's also a marathon of crack the wedding right because you need to be fit to go from nine leaving your house 
to all of the emotion of the church yeah. to now navigating, getting to the hotel, pre-drinks reception, <laughs> getting a little bit buzzed up at that. Like I always get too buzzy in that in that drinks reception prior to the meal. I got so much endorphins going <laughs> at this point and I still know in my head I've I've got so much dancing to do later. <laughs> like I need to control down. this. <laughs> yeah. Then there's then there's like a stand up show, like a, a, an Irish wedding when people stand up and give speeches that are like tearing the fucking roof off, like proper stand up from people that don't do stand up. An emotion from dads and moms talking about their kids in this special day. It's too much. It's just so much crack and. It ends with this, like, if done correctly, the best nightclub you've ever been in. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) If done correctly. And we all know where there's bad, this has gone wrong. But so I remember, I remember being told to calm down at a wedding. (laughs) No way. Yes. Yes. And oh my I God. Well, you won't be told to calm down at our wedding. I mean, I want this kind of hype. Like, I'm loving this. I didn't know you like, felt this way about um, weddings. <laughs> I mean, uh, like, I'm Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson and Wedding Crashers. Like, theirs is just a tenth of where I'm at with this. Like, I was I told to it. calm down because there was nobody on the dance floor. And me and another guy who was equally as into weddings were on it. The band were playing. We were on it, giving it socks, trying to get other people up, dragging old ladies up and dancing with them, getting the kids on the floor. And I wasn't told to my face to calm down. This was the hardest part. Tina was told in the toilets, can you get your heart to calm down? Nobody's fucking dancing at your wedding. (laughs) Yeah, it's like, I'm not the problem here. (laughs) What have I done wrong? But... uh, the exhaustion afterwards and the crack the next like it just goes on doesn't it like the that crack at a wedding can reverberate through time to the point where uh, just the whole reason you have wedding anniversaries you remember Jesus that was the best I know and the fact that we do day twos as well like that's not a thing like Irish people are like and the day two what are you wearing to the day two it's like it's completely ridiculous the day two is a new enough thing that I'm all for and uh, we had a day two but it was just family at it but I like I'm all for a day two I like it becomes a festival like it becomes yeah and apparently the day two for like the couple can be even better because it's like, okay, all the, you know, the production of the wedding is done. And the day two, well, the you're valve like. lets off. I yeah. can't wait for your, your wedding. I can't, like, I can't wait for it. And um, sometimes I have to, you know, uh, sometimes I do have to calm down. <laughs> <laughs> it's not your day, Jar. No, I mean, I want this, I need this <laughs> level of excitement. It's like got me excited all over again. It's funny you said oh that God. today because we did our like register to marry today. So we went to the registry <laughs> office to like, I mean, they take you into separate rooms. I was like, mm. she goes, Who's, who do you want to go first? They have to like answer more questions. And I was like, me because Aaron is going to forget my <laughs> first name if he does this. Like. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah. Oh God, so, it's going to be great. Yeah, I can't wait. Okay, let me go on to my next question. A habit you can't crack. Oh my God. Well, so many, just like just so many. I have so many that I, I have been unable to shake my habit, uh, uh, my chocolate habit until this Lent. Sonia Sullivan is coaching me and running and she told me you're going to give up chocolate this Lent and you're going to do it. And I did it this Lent. But then... Just before I came in here, I had like a half of a, a chocolate. It was a Cadbury's fruit and nut egg. Doyler, the fruit and nut is in the walls of the egg. I didn't know like, you could get those kind of eggs. <laughs> I mean, like what hope is there for somebody like me when that? <laughs> that's what you're dealing with. So now I'm just guilt. I'm just so full of guilt now. Um, that's a habit I cannot crack. I, I, I just love chocolate so much and it's so bad for me like it doesn't agree with me like I don't I don't know what to do I'm so out of control with it I used to smoke I thought that I could never crack that but I did 
that was one of my proudest achievements was to get off fags completely like given how many i was smoking wow like, I, I was smoking yeah, I... 30 a day at one point God, you're so not a like, smoker to me that's crazy i know but dumb like really dumb and dumb 20s stuff that like you know even if i'd gone back in the delorean i wouldn't have been able to commit convince that marty mcfly version of myself to stop <laughs> i was so into it i loved it i just loved it i thought smoking was so cool like what a what a dumbass when did you quit um fully like fully quit must be 10 years jesus yeah must be 10 years ago but wow. but like then you have, you have the odd fag here and there and then uh, you know but i never went back on them uh, uh, then but like yeah it's stupid and it's such then a you're allowed the chocolate you you gave up smoking you're allowed the chocolate even could you like get it down to like once or twice a week or something or how how is your because i'm the no, exact think, same like i really chocolate i gave it up for lent and i said to myself I can do this. Like I can give up chocolate mm. now forever. And mm. I'm thinking I about throwing I've it been out. eating it every day. Since. No, <laughs> like, but it's so delicious and it's so Moorish. Like I had a bad Pepsi Max problem. <laughs> <laughs> That's stupid as addictions go. But there's something in Pepsi Max and Coke Zero that's just badness and you can't stop i think it's aspartame or something they call it anyway those are those are the, the we could okay. talk we do a full episode about things i can't stop doing <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> okay well well done for for quitting the cigarettes i'm proud of you that's great no worries thank you okay uh the first time you cracked on i'll tell you the first time uh i kissed tina because we hadn't spoken and we had our first kiss. Oh, wow. And yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've been with Tina since like the first, second term of university. So like I was barely 20 years old, I think. No, I was 19. And um, she was just that girl in the lecture, lecture who you're like, oh, my God, that's that girl. <laughs> and, uh, I couldn't pluck up the courage to approach her at all. And um, second term, I was like, I've got to make it happen this term. Like, I haven't even said hello. And uh, I said, I'm going to find her. We just go down to the student bar and find her. And we're all like pretty, pretty loaded at this point. Like, I was pretty drunk heading down there. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Uh, there she is. And I said, I'll just have two more pints and then, uh, then I'll be ready. Then I'll be at my most romantic. <laughs> and, uh, she's there and I can see that she sees me because that was always the thing that like she was very bad and still is bad at not pretending not to see things. Uh, so she was definitely had seen me and then was pretending not to see me. And uh, or so I thought she left the bar. She went to leave. It was closing time and I still had a pint in my hand as I ran after her at the door and the bouncer, you know, put a hand in my chest while I, the pint in my hand splashing everywhere. Like <laughs> such a suave guy. Uh, grabbed her, I grabbed her arm, leaning past the bouncer who's now got both hands on my lapels. The pint still spilling all over my arm. I have a hold of her arm, Doyler. Uh, the woman that I would eventually marry. And, uh, he's like, you're not putting that outside. And I, I, like stupidly, I finished the pint. <laughs> While holding her arm, <laughs> put the glass down, went outside, and the kiss was initiated there and then. And that we've been together ever since. Like we oh had a chat God. afterwards. They were correct things. Oh my God, you guys are so cute! Gosh, like you're that, just that, cute that's not people. cute. That's that's the drunkest student story <laughs> that I have. Uh, yeah, like uh, you know, it was special. I have to say, I don't pretend that it wasn't because it it just was. You know, and I'm very very fortunate to have met the love of my life when I was 19 and uh, yeah it was a, look uh, it, that's our story and we're sticking to it it's yeah I love it it's, it's hard to tell it as well it's hard to tell it quickly 
because there's so much more to it. There's an awful lot more to it than that. But anyway, I'll I'll like follow up on that at another time. <laughs> um, okay, a time you cracked under pressure. I asked Jane about this one. She was like, "You could she, you know, she couldn't think of one." Um, and I'm pretty good under pressure. I I I I I don't look like I'm panicking. That's one of my skills i think that is that, a great skill uh, yeah people will be like you're how is so relaxed up there i'm like i'm shitting myself yeah uh, like i'm really anxious on stage at times and i don't appear to be stressed out that said i was in an all-ireland final for basketball for my school and i committed five fouls in the first 10 minutes and got sent off <laughs> And I would have to put that in the category of cracking or choking. But mm-hmm. the ref was calling everything. Uh, uh, but I do remember <laughs> watching the video back and everyone just pissing themselves because I took so long to leave the court because I was in such a daze as to w- what's going on. I'd never been sent off or taken out of a game in that way. But I definitely, it all got to me. Like, it completely fucking got to me. And I, I just... I, I remember just sitting there going, how how has this happened? Like, it was like a car crash. You're like, oh. there's people shouting. Some people were going one direction. And now that's it. It's over. But thankfully, we won the Oak and uh, it didn't matter. But that's, the, that's the, the most distinct memory I have of big occasion, yeah. complete fuck up. Complete yeah. Fuck up. It's times when you're a kid and you it never leaves you. You just hang on to it like... Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, I haven't had that experience in, in comedy, but I have had gigs, obviously, in comedy where I can remember doing a gig with Brendan Grace. <laughs> the Four Seasons in Dublin for a charity. And Barry Murphy had said, it's an easy gig. It's an easy gig. Of course, it's a fucking easy gig for you, Barry. Gunther gets up there going, you pixie heads. Not a problem. So he'll smash that. But I'm going up there with only two years of experience and dying on my arse. And I can remember Jerry Ryan looking at me going, what is this guy doing? Mm-hmm. And the whole news team were there and they were all looking at their dishes. And the woman that was organizing the show <laughs> started walking towards me on the stage and giving the neck cut uh, yeah. to tell me to stop talking. I, I, like that's the worst that that I, I still pinpoint that as the worst stand up experience <laughs> like <gasps> is it cracking under pressure uh, I would say that that yeah there, it was a bit yeah. of that and a bit of the audience being dicks <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> blame I mean it's half yeah <laughs> it's half gotta half. blame that's, them too that's fair. Yeah. Um, okay what I like to finish with is a question that has nothing to do with anything we've discussed Um, But it's something, reality TV is very close to my heart. And so I like to ask all my guests who their favorite reality TV star is. Do you have one? Oh, wow. I know, it's a tough one. (laughs) Because there's so many to choose from, isn't there? Mm. Um, What is the name? And does it have to be a contestant or can it be a host? On the reality Anything. show. Uh, I'll, I'll accept anything. I think Nicole other. Byers on uh, Nailed It is brilliant. I think I'm she's told how great the show is and yeah, I have no, watched you better it. Stop this right now and go and watch it because okay. you're going to love it. It's Mikey's favourite show as well. She is very good in that show because it shouldn't work but it works because of her. So oh, wow. Okay. Okay. I'm definitely going to watch it. Oh, one question I skipped, which I am actually very curious um, to hear your answer is something that always cracks you up. Like a film. Well, last or- night I said, Tina cracks me up all the time. All the time. Yeah. I thought me. that Tina might, yeah. might be your answer. Oh God, she is so annoyingly funny. But last night she cracked me up because of her reaction. It's usually her reaction her like the things she says to me over the years like some of the shit that she said to me like uh, I used to, had a joke in my show which was just verbatim what she had said to me um, 
I, I said that she's the only person in the world that's ever responded to the sentence, which I said to her, which was like, couldn't love you anymore. And she replies with, try. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't deal with it. Last night, she, I said to her, jokingly, uh, but I didn't expect to get this reaction. I said, you know, it's very hard for uh, people to be friends with me without falling in love with me. <laughs> She lay on the floor laughing like this was the greatest joke that I because part of me was joking, but part of me wasn't. But she just slapped the floor and just thought that's the greatest. <laughs> like, and she said, Jar, we are lucky that we weren't friends before. <laughs> <laughs> don't think it would happen. <laughs> She's just so mean to me. That's what it is. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. You guys are amazing. Um, before we conclude, tell us. So, Notions 11, we can find it on RT Player? Everywhere in the world, would you believe? A lot okay. of the time, uh, the RT Player just plays stuff in Ireland. But this, the specific deal we arranged is so that everyone can listen or watch Notions 11, my brand new stand up special on the RT Player everywhere in the world. So just download the app to your phone, stream it to your TV, an hour of stand-up recorded just before lockdown in Vicker Street. The best thing I've ever written, the most fun I've ever had on stage with the most Dublin and Irish crowd ever who fully arrive at the gig with their own jokes. Like only Irish audiences do this. They all have their own bits <laughs> it's just <laughs> ridiculous the audience are half the stars that's there yeah and obviously the podcast Irishman Abroad available everywhere brilliant thank you so much you are just thank you. a great guest and it is a joy Mairead. it's so much fun to talk to you and your podcast is class and I'm so happy to be an early adopter of the podcast I'm, and, uh, I'm honored of it from the word go Charlotte Regan, what a guy. I've seen Notions 11 and I couldn't recommend it more, especially if you are somewhere that's still in lockdown, allow yourself an hour of pure laughter. Now, I know, I know, I keep saying it, but thank you again for listening and let's keep sharing on social media and make sure you're subscribed to the podcast so that you never miss an episode of Crack On. See you next week. 